You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole. So excited to be coming at you from the Hogshead tonight. And with me, as she is every single week, is the most wonderful witch in the world, Chrissy Morris. Oh, I thought I was Niffler. I I mean, I... I I like shiny things. I stuff them in my pouch. You know, this is true. This is true. You know, um, that would be kind of cool if you... Uh, that was what you could transfigure yourself into, you know, mm, like yeah. an animagus, like you were a niffler. So that would be cool. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I'm here. Why, why not? <laughs> so, I mean, if you get to choose the animal that you want to be, why not choose a niffler? They're pretty sweet. So. And you're a bow truckle. I mean, I don't know if I'm the bow truckle <laughs> because I feel like we have an actual bow truckle with us tonight. The one and only Amanda. Hi, guys. It's good to be back. It hey. is great to have you back. It's great. And I love your Hufflepuff sweatshirt because yes. I have the same one from um, Universal, yep. but I've got the uh, Ravenclaw one. So Perfect. Yep. And I've got my comfort bow truckle pinned to my sweater for this podcast. <laughs> so you are bow the truckle. bow truckle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, comfort bow truckles are much more acceptable in, say, like a grocery store than a dog. I think so. so. You know? Yeah, they're, yeah, and they're so, so. I mean, they're just itsy bitsy. You can fit them in a pocket. They're great at holding Very things like too. wands, mm-hmm. picking locks. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. you know, emotional support bow truckle. That's oh, what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! Well, we're gonna have so much fun as we are talking about fantastic beast. The Secrets of Dumbledore. But before we dive in, we do want to thank you for listening. We really appreciate you checking out the 602 Club. And of course, uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, when you're there, make sure you're subscribed wherever that is and you'll get the shows as soon as they drop. If you are on a place like uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate a star rating. And then on Apple Podcasts, you can give us a review as well, written review and those things really do help the show. In fact, Kirsty, I didn't know if you knew this, but I just was looking at our show on Spotify the other day, and we now have 11 ratings, and out of five, we have a 4.8. So I think that's pretty good. Man, what happened to the other 0.2%? I don't know, but, you know, <laughs> so people, if you love us, you know, give us a, a star rating there on Spotify. Yeah. One. If you're looking for a great place to get podcasts, Spotify is actually fantastic. Their setup is really, really nice. Um, Amazon Music is also really nice as well. So there are some places, if you don't really like Apple Podcasts, that you can go to get podcasts. And again, just subscribe. You'll get the shows as soon as they drop. And of course, you can find us online on places like Twitter, at The 602 Club. We're also on Instagram, at The 602 Club TFM. We'd love it if you'd follow us there. Uh, And of course, we love interacting with people about the shows that we do here. You can also find us on 
Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And then there's the listeners-only discussion group you can join where you can talk to listeners from all over the world about all of the shows we do here in the network, which is pretty cool. And then, of course, uh, you can go over to the website at trek.fm. There's a contact section if you wanted to send us an email. And last but not least, you can help us out. We would really appreciate you helping us out by going to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you can be part of our team. It's a lot of money to put all this together. We have so many shows going on. We do want to continue to grow the network, and we can't do that without listeners just like you. So go to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you can be part of the team. Ladies, both of you know that we've had some changes um, here as we got to part three and we've had a character who's actually changed faces already twice so um we knew there was going to be another change that johnny depp was out uh and mads mickelson was going to be taking over as grindelwald and so i wanted to ask you just right up front since this is kind of something that's been hanging over the film ever since they announced this how did this all work for you did he work for you? Should it have been referenced at all in the movie? Because they don't actually reference it at all, the fact that he's changed his look again. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, we're <laughs> just going to hit the round running. So what did you guys think? Bring it on. Um, I might get crucified on the interweb for this take, but all of the legal and personal hardships for Johnny Depp aside... I was not thrilled with him as the casting choice in the first place, and I felt like he was almost a caricature of what Grindelwald should have been. So for me, seeing Mads Mikkelsen step into that role with the charisma, the calm, and that bone-chilling evil, with all of that just wrapped into such a nice, neat, um, suave package for me he was perfect I was so thrilled with his performance and um, and the chemistry between Mads and Jude Law was just phenomenal I mean their first scene together was outstanding so I, I was very very happy with it and I think they handled it as well as they could have I don't think that referencing it would have made it better or worse so that's where I kind of fell on that one. Yeah, I would say I'm with you as well as far as the um, choice when compared with Johnny Depp. Um, I am a huge Depp fan. Um, I do think that what he's going through is unfair, honestly. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I know that the studio has to protect themselves and it was the right decision. Um and I think that you needed somebody that was going to have the same gravitas that Jude Law has. Yeah. And so if you think about who's going to be able to play well off of him, I think you definitely hit the nail on the head, Amanda, that they have a natural chemistry together. And I think that they're both good dramatic actors anyway, separate from each other. Mm -hmm. So that made that scene at the beginning all the more like you could cut the tension with a knife. Oh, yes. I just, I felt like, for me at least, um, Depp's portrayal was almost musical mm -hmm. um, uh, for Grindelwald. But when you had Mads in the role, he just brought 
this controlled chaos. And it was mm-hmm. so beautiful to kind of watch him come undone and then come back together and come undone and how he barely held on to composure, but you couldn't see past the veil that he held up the whole time. It it was like just at the boiling point the entire film, and it was amazing to me. Well, and, and the kind of character that you can tell Grindelwald is, mm-hmm. is someone who would have the charisma to get followers. Absolutely. You know, he can't be the kind of evil where people see him and immediately run away in fear. He's got to have enough to bring you in first and get you to follow his lead and then later reveal the master plan. And you're going, oh, no, I'm I'm in too deep now. Yeah, <laughs> I just I think he has to be that evil, but also yeah. that believable. What did you think, Matt? Mm-hmm. It's really interesting where you went with this because... Um, I am of the same mindset as you are, Amanda, <laughs> in the sense that, you know, I I like Johnny Depp. You know, this doesn't have I don't care about his legal troubles. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have anything to do with how he does in films. So the only thing I'm judging is the thing that every character now that he does seems to have some resonance with what he did in Pirates of the Caribbean and it all feels like and it's it's not that he's not trying but everything about him like I think even the the fact that you know they gave him like this white blonde hair and the mismatched the weird eye. eye thing yeah. and just like ev- and 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 just so everything then about the way he plays the character felt in many ways, I f- just less believable as a character that people would genuinely follow because Grindelwald is legitimately wizarding Hitler. Yep. You know, he's mm-hmm. somebody who's supposed to be charismatic that people would want to follow, right? That So that when he gives a speech or any of those things he just kind of oozes this charisma that people find intoxicating. You know, I, that's how Hitler gained power was by giving speeches that people responded to, you know, and I don't feel like, you know, Depp was the type of person that there was what you need for this role. So I almost wish that Mads had been cast in the first place or, you know, it's sad, unfortunately, that, in many ways, they kind of blew it because Colin Farrell was fantastic mm-hmm. uh, in the first movie as him. And then, you know, of course, they unmask him and it's it's so it almost wished that had been reversed. Yeah. And then we would have never had this problem because, again, <laughs> Colin Farrell, I think, did a phenomenal job in that film because he can also do that same thing that you were mentioning that Mads does where plays that controlled chaos very well and there's that seething underbelly that can just come out at any moment but he he closes that up you know and Mm -hmm. so i think he was great i thought like you said the the chemistry he creates with jude law is wonderful and he's terrifying you know because he portrayed him as somebody who truly believes in all of this and truly has no care for other people or 
he, it's just about him, right? Mm-hmm. And in many ways, what was interesting is that for the first time, I kind of got the feeling like that all of the things that Grindelwald is doing is because he has n- he doesn't actually know how to relate to anybody. He just want he wants to be loved and he wants to be like revered. And that, like, maybe there's some sort of deep-seated childhood trauma or something that's led him to be this way, which has led him to, like, the things we'll talk about later with othering and all that, which he does with the muggles, because he just wants to be followed, you know? Um, And he doesn't actually, I don't, I don't even know if he truly understands what love is, so... um, but anyway, all of that to say, I think that that's that's all in his performance, mm-hmm. and those are all things that he makes me think. So I think he was the right choice. I don't really think they necessarily needed to reference it in the movie. It almost just seemed like he could finally show his true face, you know, um, mm-hmm. and his true face is one that uh, is much more. I think approachable for people and one that it, but it's also terrifying. Like you said, Christy, like there's this moment where, Oh gosh, you know, like, Oh, that's really what this is. You know, (laughs) and some people really respond to that and others don't. So yeah. Um, he was, yeah, he was great. So I'm, I'm really surprised. I had no idea how anybody would feel about this, but it's crazy that we're all three on the same page. (laughs) Uh, So on the same parchment, Uh, but I wanted something that's really interesting too about this is that the story here was pretty fascinating because we added a lot to the wizarding world with this idea of the confederation and the, the somebody who's kind of like the overarching leader of all of the wizarding world. And then, you know, you have your local ministries of magic in your different countries. Um, and this all begins with the birth of a chillin, um, which is a magical beast that, signals the rise of a new righteous leader in the magical world. And Grindelwald wants this character so that he can use it to help him get picked as the leader of the magical world. And unbeknownst to him, the Chillin has twins, which leads to Dumbledore and Newt being able to, you know, use the original Dumbledore's army to stop Geralt, or at least try to stop him. So, so much going on in this film, and yet I think, also kind of felt a little bit more contained than maybe, say, uh, the the crimes of Grindelwald, where there was a lot happening, maybe <laughs> too much. But anyway, how did you guys feel about the this story? I really loved it. I mean, I've been enjoying this journey since day one, um, and I think that everyone had such earnest performances throughout the film. Um, every It was all so believable. And we got Jacob Kowalski coming back, and that was one of my favorite parts. And I think for me, it I think this might be my favorite out of all three of them right now. Um, it, it was a beautiful story. Although I think it was a really rough start for me with the chillin' and what happens in the first scenes, because that, that was a little traumatic. <laughs> Just the cruelty of what they were doing. 
Yeah, yeah, that was not my favorite. Anything to do with hurting animals makes me a little upset, so. And I mean, you know, you've got a lot of hormones running through your body right now, so. (laughs) So I'm sitting in the theater, like, holding my face. It's fine. (laughs) Oh, the trauma. It is. It was very traumatic. I need, like, mom warnings instead of kid warnings. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Emotional moment upcoming. Um yeah, I, I think it definitely kind of has that, sadly, a uh, Bambi vibe to oh, it. Oh, yep. <laughs> it really um, did. But, but that's the thing that really pulls you in and, you know, gives you something to hold on to is something you care about, you know, uh, that they're so innocent. Yeah. And that it's something that clearly is very rare and that Newt is trying desperately to protect um, and I loved that they added that piece that the chillin are so important in the mm-hmm. wizarding world, um, you know, and that they're able to see into someone's soul, I thought was <sighs> such a cool thing. And I can't remember where we've seen that before, but it is a, a common thing in um, a lot of stories is, you know, there will be a, a beast or a character that will be able to see someone's true intentions or what's in their heart. Um, so I loved that. Um, and then them trying to expose that he Grindelwald had twisted it into something to benefit him. Um, because you're not sure at first if that's going to be unveiled or not, or if he's just going to move on and become the leader of the wizarding world and the muggle world. Um, yeah, I think overall yeah. that those pieces were really strong story elements that definitely pulled me in. Yeah, what he did to his twin was just unspeakable but i think as much as it twisted my stomach stomach and made me ill to watch that it was necessary to show the darkest depths of who grindelwald's character was because at this point we've just been kind of taking him at face value we haven't seen a lot of horrible things that he's done per se just right. Why that do people he wants fear him? to do horrible things so Watching that and how he handled his twin, that was definitely, it set the tone for everything that followed in that film. Well, and and I think I really like the way this story works is because uh, this movie has a fantastic beast at the center of it. And Mm -hmm. therefore, I think really kind of legitimizes the idea that, yes, this movie is called The Secret Dumbledore and we are really going to dive into a lot of those secrets but this movie also in it it shows why you know Albus says at the very end that he couldn't have done this without Newt, um, and so by allowing the Chillin to be such a pivotal part to the story, I think that really helps. It's also interesting that this is something that's new; it's not actually in the Fantastic Books book. Um, something she created for the movie. So that's really fascinating. So I guess we'll be getting an update to Newt's book, uh, The Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, because this isn't in there. Um, but Christy, you mentioned this is kind of something that we've seen in other places. And and I was thinking to myself as I was watching the movie, like, this is like the Wizarding Milanor, you know, like the Hammer of Thor, that it knows if you're worthy or not, right? Oh, you yeah. can't pick it up unless you're worthy. And so I, I did love that. and But I also kind of loved that with what Grindelwald does to the Chillin, it shows the way that evil corrupts what's natural and beautiful for its own gain. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think that's a really cool thematic element to this. And it's actually really terrifying, too, of what we're willing to do um, to nature and to what's already beautiful and what's natural to get what we want, which is scary. Um, And then you there's an abundance of twins in this movie, you know, Uh, and in that twin thematic element plays throughout the entire film we've got the chillin and it's in fury version which i thought was kind of creepy because if you think about it it's an in fury they've created an in fury um you've got newt and theseus and then albus and alberforth and of course you have albus and gellert uh and then you've also got the muggle world and the magical world and so there's a lot of different layers to this film especially in this idea of, of twins twinning and like they're they're all playing off of each other in certain ways so it was one of those things that as i was watching the movie i was actually really struck by how this is very literary in the way in which she structured these because that's like an a literary idea of like you keep doing this mm-hmm section uh this idea of like twins and then you play them all off each other um so i loved it you know i thought the story was fantastic in that way and in that nature of like twins we're kind of being shown one side or the other right and what was actually beautiful is that yes we're showing kind of good versus evil here, but we're also being, I think, very honest and saying we as humans, the best we can do is to overcome our weaknesses to to be good people. Because as Lolly said, nobody, no matter how good they are, can ever be totally pure. Nobody's perfect. And so it it I, I, I there's a real sense of reality to this. Um, but I think it does a great job of showing, yeah, there's one side to the coin and then there's the other. And honestly, you really don't want to be that one side of the coin that's basically the Grindelwald version. Yeah. So I think there is also a heavy mirror theme um, within this film. And it also kind of threw me back to Harry Potter and the use of mirrors. And I thought that was a really beautiful tie-in. Um and how as they are twins, they are also reflections of where the other could have ended up. And they also go into a semi-mirrorverse, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, for a lot of the personal interactions that are a little too Mm -hmm. intense to be had on the main stage. Right, like the fights Mm -hmm. between Albus and Gellert. And Credence, and then again, when Albus and Gellert meet in the cafe in the first scene. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Yes. Well, and and I like the way you pulled that out, Amanda, because, you know, specifically the mere conversations between mm-hmm. Aberforth and Credence, you know, he's the one who uses the magical mirror the most in Harry Potter, right? Yep. And mm-hmm. so this understanding of the idea of, of magical mirrors and how to use them makes sense. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we know the deluminator can do a lot more than just illuminate <laughs> rooms, right? Yeah. Um, it can also create little balls of light. Little balls of light. Um, that float towards your so, heart. 
Exactly. <laughs> Toot your heart. Um, but absolutely. I, I think one of the cool things about this is that there are a lot of layers being added in here. And all of the layers are kind of building things thematically. And what was interesting is, like you mentioned, is the movie is not afraid to to use the fantasy of things um, and and that kind of, kind of imagery to really help us understand what's happening emotionally with the characters. Case in point, the scene at the beginning where you know, you are really kind of seeing a more thematic version of what actually happened, right? Because it's, we're, with that scene, we see right after that is Dumbledore looking out the window at Hogwarts, and he's remembering what happened, but he's remembering it in a way that is much more thematically driven than it is Mm reality-based, right? And so he, he's experiencing the emotions of what, Grindelwald wants to do to the muggle world which is to burn it to the ground and it's what drives then Dumbledore throughout the rest of the film and it's what drives the rest of our characters throughout the film to fight against this and part of that has to do with this and I Christy we keep talking about this theme but it really keeps coming up in things but here you know Geralt is anotherer you know he calls he calls muggles vermin you know and he treats them as less than human because it makes him feel special or i don't know he's using the power of bigotry to uh innately make himself feel more special and more important than others um and he's using fear to get people to follow him even though he doesn't really want to lead them he just wants them to follow yep it goes back to conversations that were had in the original books um, about his view that wizards had the right to rule Mm -hmm. and that's and that everything else was subservient and um, he continuously was pushing and pushing for that with Albus and trying to use their earlier conversations against them or against him and I just, I wonder what happened with him that took him from point A to point B, because it seems like when they were younger, these ideas just started off as wanting to free the wizarding world from the oppression of being hidden, being invisible. Mm-hmm. So at what point did this snowball into wizards dominate and everything else falls in line Mm -hmm. where was that breaking point i think that's part of what makes it interesting is that you're Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what trauma caused you to get there or you know whatever yeah and yeah i mean you're absolutely right like the thing that um grindelwald does that's also so cruel is that he uses albus's love Mm -hmm. and and like you said, past conversations as evidence against him. And they were And says, kids. well, that's not. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's but you can't go back and change that. So then yeah. it has Albus doubting whether or not he did actually agree with him at one point. Yeah. And, um, and to what degree? Yeah. Right. But I mean, obviously, things have changed. And mm-hmm. um, 
I really I thought that it was a a great juxtaposition between the two of them about how Albus is completely the opposite. You know, you can tell that he loves the kids that go to Hogwarts and he loves everyone, whether they're muggles or wizards or witches or not, you know, that he feels like we're all in the same playing field and that clearly along the way at some point Grindelwald lost that and felt that he somehow is superior. Mhm. I think the what I love is that Dumbledore is reminded that he did once believe this and it didn't just have to do with his love for Geralt like he believed this and part of that was his and and this is what he tells Harry, of course, mm-hmm. in The Deathly Hallows, which is, I understood for myself that power was something that I craved, and therefore power is not something that I should be given. And what we see here, I think, you know, I think she does a great job in this is that we each have been given gifts to be used not just for ourselves but for the betterment of others when we innately take those gifts as being just for selfish gain um we're misusing the gift mm-hmm. regardless of whatever power it is because we've all been given some type of power in our lives right we don't have magical power like wizards but we all have some power or some gift that we've been given if we only use that for ourselves then we're misusing the gift. And I think for me, in many ways, that's what she's always been trying to get across in Harry Potter. And so wizards have all been given these gifts and how they use that power. You know, again, with great power comes great responsibility. And <laughs> well, you know, Grindelwald and Dumbledore, as kids, see that power as if they have the right to rule. And that's a that's a problem, you know, that, that it's, a, it's a historical problem, you know, is that we believe that power gives us the right to rule. Whereas on the opposite side of that, you have Jacob. He is the complete antithesis of that. You know, he's just a good man who's willing to do something in the face of evil. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. his heart is full and he's brave enough to share that openly, unlike a lot of people in this movie. You know, um, it, it. I mean, even Newt, one of the reasons I think that Newt is not quite as open in this movie is because he's not willing to completely open up to Tina and say, I love you. I want to be with you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's not until the, and we'll get there, but it's not until the very end, like where he seems like he's realized that in his brain. I, something that Dumbledore has he is willing to admit his confession to Newt shows his goodness like he's willing to say I was completely wrong you know and I'm repenting of that and I have been repenting of that and I'm working to change and I just think that's really beautiful because that's what it takes in this movie to stop Grindelwald 
is that it takes good people doing something, standing mm-hmm. up for what it's right, being willing to expose corruption and stand with the truth because the only way to defeat lies is with the truth. Yep. It takes not just one person stepping out of line, but as many people as you can get to step out of line instead of just blindly following the mass mm-hmm. where Grindelwald is concerned. And not only that, but to be strong enough to stay standing outside of that yes. line. Because mm-hmm. in the face of unimaginable power and evil and seduction, it, it's difficult. He offers a lot of things that are very valuable and enticing to a lot of the wizarding community, communities. But on the other head of that coin are a lot of things that are just inexcusable and can't happen. Mm-hmm. Because what Grindelwald offers is so much more seductive. Mm-hmm. It's poison fruit, though. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. 100% right. And yeah. I love that you put it like that because, you know, isn't that kind of the lie from the beginning of time, which is <laughs> you could be your own God. You can be the one with all the power and nobody can tell you what to do. And that's kind of what he's offering all of these people who are following him. He even tells them, right, that... um Believing in me is believing in yourself, mm-hmm. which is all about this radical autonomy as if like, and this is very philosophical, <laughs> but that idea of like, yeah, you follow me and really by following me, you're just really believing in yourself. And it's like, that's just what we do has an impact on the greater whole, right? And mm-hmm. therefore we we're not just completely autonomous beings who don't impact the world around us. And so I think that's the thing where you can see why it's so seductive to follow him and why he has people like Vogel on his side. And he's begin to creep into the upper echelons, of the wizarding community, because it is it's what we want to hear. Mm hmm. But at the end of the day, something that I don't think he's realized or is even beginning to realize is that by reaching for power in the manner that he is, he's not setting himself free. He's not gaining anything. He's just giving himself a tighter cage because you can see his suspicion and his lack of trust in everyone around him starting to peak and fracture him as the film Mm -hmm. goes on. How long can someone exist feeling like there's not a soul in the world that they can turn to. And I think a lot of what he said to Albus at the end of the film, who's going to love you now was a projection of himself, mm-hmm. to be honest. I mean, yeah. Cause if you look at how he treats credence, no for one. example, yeah, no, he doesn't, he doesn't trust anyone. He's completely mm-hmm. destroyed any relationship he had left with Albus. Um, and he just wanted power, and then maybe he's realized that it's led nowhere. Um, but we'll see. But yeah, I, I, I liked even the political parallel um, I wanted to add of when Newt is supposed to say to the leader, make sure you do what's right, not what's easy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, gosh, how many times do we see people <laughs> in politics take the easy way out? Instead of standing up for what's right or, you know, following their heart, just doing what would 
you know, be most desired by their party or whatever. Um, I thought that that was a really interesting thing to show and how then it could lead down this other path that you didn't intend to be on. I, I like that, Christy, because I think that really does connect with something that our world, I don't think, believes anymore, which is feelings are not what matters because feelings change every five seconds, right? I mean, how I feel is a, is not a reflection of what's actually true because those feelings can change at a moment's notice. You know, stub your toe and, and you'll see how fast your feelings change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but th- that so that doesn't really comport with reality or the truth. And so that's why I think that phrase of saying do what is right not what is easy because what is easy is what usually feels good and what at leads to what you are feeling at the moment vogel at the moment is feeling like yes if i follow grunewald then i do what he wants and i'm going to help amass more myself more power right and that's going to feel good but that's not the right thing to do and it's really our choices that make us who we are, which is what Dumbledore will tell Harry. And you can continually see people making bad choices in these movies that are evil because that's that's what's going to make them feel good. In fact, othering and bigotry also feel good, right? Because they make us feel better than other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the dirty little secret, right? Being a bigot actually feels good because it makes me feel better than other people. If I can believe that other people are like less than human, that actually feels good because I'm better than them. It's sick and disturbing, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's true. And so doing what is right instead of what is easy, like I love that. And I love that, you know, it is a continual theme is that. Doing what is right instead of what is easy is is something that every single generation is going to have to do. It's mm-hmm. it's the it's the thing where it's like, I, to paraphrase Ronald Reagan, it's like democracy is always one generation away from dying. Right? If you don't do your part, it really is. It's that close, and that's what we're seeing in the Wizarding world. And I think that's what makes the Fantastic Beasts series great in the sense that it helps reinforce those messages that are, that happened originally in the series of Harry Potter and that they continue to be important. And so um, we touched on this a little bit, but this was something I also really thought was really important. I love that this movie is full of redemption and characters looking for redemption because that doesn't happen a lot in movies and it doesn't happen in our world, right? We don't we don't offer people redemption anymore. And to see Dumbledore have made such terrible mistakes and have to own up to the his mistakes, mm-hmm. confess his mistakes, and to turn around, to see Queenie do the same thing of feel like that redemption isn't like even possible for her because of the choices that she's made how many of us have felt like that and yet redemption is possible and if we don't offer people redemption and give them the opportunity to turn around then nobody will ever do so you know even at that moment i think that dumbledore would offer 
Grindelwald redemption if he would take it, but he will never take it, right? Because it's yeah. not what he wants. And so I love, I just love that. I also really love that this film did the brave thing and the bold choice and offered redemption without it being at the cost of life. Because in yeah, so nice, many yeah. films, it's like, okay, I can redeem myself if I go die for everyone right now. Mm-hmm. No, I want to see them be redeemed and keep choosing good things. I want to see good things happen to this person. We've been waiting to have a redemption arc. Mm-hmm. Like we don't get enough of that. So that was really refreshing to see them actually get to follow it through. Yeah. Well, and especially for all of us that love Queenie so much, <sighs> I'm definitely in that group. It was so good to have her back and to see her, you know, see what she's been going through. Mm-hmm. And that you can clearly tell that the real her is still inside and that she just feels like this is a choice she had to make and didn't want to. And now she's trapped. Well, she mm-hmm. I don't think she knew what she was getting into. True, maybe I, not. I wonder if Grindelwald was practicing occlumency because that's not something that we've addressed yet because it doesn't seem like she can see what he is thinking. He is using her to figure out what everyone else is thinking. And also, what is that mm-hmm. other girl's name? I always forget. The dark hair with the big lips. French girl. Oh. The French I know witch. Who you're talking about, but I don't oh, remember you her mean, name. Uh, you mean from the movies? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Rosier. From this one? Oh, yes, Rosier. Rosier yeah, also she's... has the power to quiet everyone for Queenie. And she's never yeah. far from Grindelwald. So that could also be twofold a part of why Queenie got in so deep so fast without realizing she needed to pump the brakes. Because mm-hmm. not only was it an emotionally driven choice, but she might not have been able to fully see. The, the big picture of what she was joining up with. Mm-hmm. I think, too, that Queenie is the perfect example of somebody who makes a decision based on feelings mm-hmm. and then realizes that feelings aren't the truth because she feels like because she can't be with Jacob in the United States because they wouldn't be able to get married and because of everything that's happened in that relationship, even though they, they could just move to... to <laughs> Britain if they wanted but the fact that she wouldn't be able to to marry him where she is then she she feels she should be able to somebody finally tells her what she wants to hear based on her feelings and those feelings then are used and distorted into making a decision that she shouldn't make and she makes it very she makes it quickly Mm -hmm. right like she makes it in a snap judgment Mm -hmm. I think what this shows a few things. One, don't make snap decisions based on feelings. Especially not life-altering Two, ones. Exactly. <laughs> feelings aren't reality. And so, therefore, the best thing to do in light of both of those things is to wait things out. To see how things come about once the feelings have subsided and you are able to think about things maybe slightly more rationally and thoughtfully with care and maybe talking about it with others. And so I just this whole film was saying some things that I think our world desperately needs to hear. Um and and we see it, you know, like 
our rush to judgments with things politically or just across the board in any way, shape, or form. Just look at your social media feeds. Like everybody reacts and maybe we need to stop reacting and start thinking a little bit more and that would help. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this all comes down to this idea too is like Queenie has had time to think about it. I think she does kind of know where, I mean, she's seen the horrors of what Grindelwald does. He kills the chillin. You know, she's seen what he's doing to Credence. She knows what he's doing to Credence inside his mind. And I think she can read everybody else's minds there and they're terrible people and she wants to turn around and being offered redemption allows her to do that. You know, Mm -hmm. Albus expressing the deep remorse over his previous action and beliefs and his work to let them never come to fruition, I think shows, like you said, Amanda, yes, you can be offered redemption and he might not have to die. But a part of him has to die because he is always going to be the character who's on the outside looking in. He's going to dedicate his life to making sure that the life he sees in Jacob's bakery can happen. He's going to love people and people are going to love him, but he's never going to truly know the love he desired because he's never going to try for that type of love again. He's he makes a choice to do those things. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something really beautiful in that, that he's willing to give up something like that to make sure that the entire world, not just the wizarding world, the entire world can have that and to pass those values then on to generations of wizards to come. Like, I think that there's something really gorgeous in that. And then the breaking of the blood pact. I thought was really beautiful because in the end, what is she saying? Love wins. Like it's the it's the brothers' two protective spells meeting Grindelwald's spell of death that breaks the blood pact. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a twin thing again, but it's the twin the twin protection spells the 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 spells of love An act of coming love against beats death. An yes. act of aggression. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I do love that they had that symbol as well with having the, the necklace with the amulet, I guess you would call it, um, and showing it literally breaking in half and Albus finally being free, truly, to live his life as he wished, um, I thought was so great. And I mean, it, it goes back to too, something, Matt, that you and I have mentioned in multiple episodes before of the difference between sacrificial love selfishness versus selflessness um Mm -hmm. that dumbledore decides it's not worth trying to chase love for himself anymore because he's no longer a selfish person Mm -hmm. that he's sacrificing for other people i really like that christy i I think that's absolutely important and it Mm -hmm. what is it it's also the reason I think that the chillin bows to him because he has sorted out <laughs> in his <laughs> life and in his soul these things. And that's why we see him in such pain, right? Because it does cause him pain to choose these things, yeah. to put to death 
the love that he had for this person, put to death the ideas that he held on to previously, to turn 180 degrees from that and to continually live out good choices, he has worked to purify his soul. And the chillin sees that and bows to him. And I think the beauty then, the ultimate beauty is that he rejects that offer of power because even though he's done the hard work, he he knows the temptation it is. And he turns from temptation mm-hmm. and he says no to it. And I that again, I think that's something really beautiful this world needs more to of to see which is the rejection of temptation yeah no we don't give in to temptation we reject it because it's bad for us <laughs> and bad for everyone else around us in this mm-hmm. case because yes. it's not just yes. about dumbledore he knows that decisions he had made in the past are still rippling and impacting people now through gallert and that those early boyhead dream or boyhead <laughs> <laughs> Baby I mean it's close enough boyhead dreams <laughs> and that early boyheader god damn <laughs> uh, somebody boyish help. dreams yes those boyhood dreams there you go are still impacting the shut up Christy <laughs> oh, sorry <laughs> I yes, can't help it. In your this head. child is <laughs> sucking the smart out of me. I can feel it happening. <laughs> Sorry, I lost it. Me too. It's fine. <laughs> but those early boyhood dreams are still impacting the greater wizarding world and the muggle world at large um, through all the actions that Gellert has taken. And he realizes that the impact and the part that he had in that is the reason why it's gotten to this point. So he knows that it's not just this choice to take or reject power for himself doesn't just affect him, but he's already shown that if given the opportunity, he may not always make the best decision for everyone else because of his hubris. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's 100%. hard when you're the smartest person in the room to think about the rest of the people. I, I, yeah, I think that's really well said. So, something fun. I mean, we've this movie, which is great. It's, <laughs> I, I, and I, I don't complain about it. Like, this movie has given us so many great things to talk about, which is one of my favorite things. But it also gave us, I think, some, some great new characters to spend time with. And I really enjoyed Lolly. I thought she was so much fun and gave a lot of life to the movie, especially her interactions with Jacob. Um, And she's just kind of phenomenal as a character. Really um, liked her a lot. And so I'm wondering what you guys thought of her as, especially I think the character that's the newest that we spend the most time with. I liked her a lot. And I liked the... um... The Catherine Hepburn take on her accent. That was enjoyable. That was fun. She had that upper crust, old Hollywood glamour, not quite British, but not really American. Um, oh, God, my brain. I'm sorry, guys. 
No, it's yeah, that okay. Mid Atlantic. I get where you're going with that. Yep. Yes, that I know accent. exactly what you're talking about. I'm like, about. I mm-hmm. forgot the word accent. It's like someone took my brain and all of the words <laughs> in it, shook them up, yeah. bumped out half my word bank and said, have fun. And you're like, oh, where is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so y'all are going to hate me, but that was the one reason I did not like her. Oh. Yeah. I thought that her performance was great. And I thought she was a, a really interesting actress in this role. Um, it just that the accent thing that she was doing, it felt too intentional to me that it felt fake. Like she was just trying too hard to make it sound a certain way. You know, like when people do a bad old Southern accent and it's like Savannah. And I'm like, <laughs> nope, <laughs> nope, that's not how I talk. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah that, mm, that bothered me. But I thought she was a good actress. It was a choice. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was definitely yeah. a choice. And it was interesting. And it's not an accent that we've heard in the films no. before. So at least it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But her demeanor, the mm-hmm. way that she plays off of, um, oh, God, what's his name? Eddie Redmayne, um, I thought was really cute. You could tell that it's almost like he's starstruck. Like he's like, this is my friend. And she wrote this book that I love. And she's like, totally awesome. <laughs> you yeah. Know? So yeah, I, I thought she was great in the role though. Mm-hmm. Well, and I thought it was really good in this film to get a chance to spend some more time with Aberforth. And obviously he's a huge part of this movie too, because we answer the question uh, about whose child Credence is and the fact that he is actually Aberforth's son who, you know, because of the strained relationship between the Dumbledore brothers, Albus never knows about. And Aberforth only kind of thinks that, you know, like it's finally confirmed that, yes, he did have a child and that this is his son. And... I just, I really loved all of that, you know. Um, I thought that Richard Coyle did a great job portraying this man who is just plagued, I think, with guilt about, you know, not choosing to find his son before this um, and what's happened to him and that, you know, the strained relationship he's had with his brother has, has meant that he could never trust him to help him find his son and he's just, yeah, he's racked with guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought he did a fantastic job of playing that. Yep. I never thought that the secrets of Dumbledore would be Aberforth's secrets. Can I tell you, after <laughs> the last film, I went down this rabbit hole on the interweb after Crimes of Grindelwald because I'm like, no, I have read these books forwards, backwards, inside out. There is mathematically no way that they have a brother. It doesn't work. Their dad was an Azkaban. He didn't have an illegitimate love child. Where is this coming from? I can't do it. And it never once in a million years occurred to me that Abba Forth would have a kid. Hmm. <laughs> they proved you wrong. They did. I was like, <laughs> what? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, you know, now we're we're waiting to find out if there's going to be two more films in this series. And, uh, you know, it's looking like Ezra Miller may get recast. Well, I think the best part about this is that 
he won't even need to be in the other films because it's very clear that Credence is dying and is going to die very, very soon. And so, and there are still, this is about a year after the first film. So we still haven't made it out of the 20s yet, Mm -hmm. which, you know, the final showdown between Grindelwald and Dumbledore is in 1945. Uh, and so therefore it is very easy for them to time jump, uh, if they do mm-hmm. the fourth and fifth films, um, to take place, you know, say in the late thirties and then the forties. So they, they don't even have to, thankfully for them, they literally don't have to worry about that. Um, yeah. so I think that that was brilliant writing on their part. Um, I don't know if it's on intentional or if it was just part <laughs> of the story that they're telling. Yeah. Um, but I I love this idea that, you know, Dumbledore mentions or somebody mentions in the Harry Potter books that nobody ever thinks of Aberforth and people should. And nobody thought of Aberforth having a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that he was also in love and, you know, that relationship ended because that girl was taken away. Uh, and, you know, um there were rumors of a child and it just, it, it's all very sad, you know, when you see the fact that what happened to his sister and then what happened here to his son, it makes sense of why he never as well, maybe pursues another relationship mm-hmm. uh, like this and kind of ends up alone and running the hog's head for the rest of his life because he had a lot of terrible things that happened to him too. And so I think, you know, getting a chance to spend time with them was, as these new cast members was great. And I also really love that we make history in this movie. You know, Jacob and Queenie get married and the magical community, I, I think people were I've complaining that you didn't actually see the change in the law, but it's like, they, the magical community around the world literally watched a muggle help them save the magical world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it makes sense that the law changed because of what they saw Jacob do. And this is the first time that they'll get married. And I think, in, in the U.S., that is. And I just think it's really pretty beautiful. Um, and I like that we allow them to be happy at the end and... It was it was nice. It made me so happy. I've been waiting for justice for Queenie for too long. She's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Well, and you finally get to see, you know, literally the happily ever after of Queenie and Jacob run a bakery. <laughs> right. And they got married in the bakery. And yeah. her dress was outrageous and cute. And everyone that they loved was there. Mm -hmm. And they didn't kill anyone before everyone that they loved could be there. And that was perfect. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So I I was thrilled with that. And and getting to see, you know, them kind of take a beat and actually show the first look, we'll call it, with um, Queenie and Jacob. And then (laughs) um, his reaction to seeing her, you know, fully in front of him in the dress and everything um, was so sweet. And I just, I liked that they took the time to really put you through how they would have felt. Yeah. Well, and I, I really enjoyed 
this as well because you know the end of the movie makes pretty clear that not only does Newt have feelings for his case uh, <laughs> he has feelings for Tina and I, th- I think he's realized that he can't keep waiting to tell her how he feels and the beauty of the moment where they met um, on the street was so well played um, and I, I think you know, a lot had been made of the fact that Tina wasn't in this movie very much, but I think the absence of her being in the film, just like the absence of him thinking he had lost his case, is important. I think he needed time away um, to really come to grips with the fact that, yeah, he's in love with this woman and like he needs to make his move. And you never know what's going to happen. So it's sooner rather than later, buddy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, I just, their scene together was just perfect, you know? And so I'm really hoping um, that we do get a fourth and a fifth movie because I want to see them get married. And, you know, I want to see their relationship get a chance to blossom and grow because they are great on screen together. Yes. So I love that it's almost like he then saw how to be brave from Jacob and decided I need to stop waiting and being shy and everything yep. and just go for it because he's got a picture of her in the case all the time. Mm-hmm. And can we take a moment to applaud and appreciate Bunty? Yes. And her reclaiming herself from her unrequited love that she's been sitting there pining after for two films and coming into her own and, Closing that door for herself and still being awesome because she was awesome in everything she did in that film. Yeah, no, I, the um, reveal of her in the robes yeah. saying everyone doesn't need to know everything, Newt. I was like, yes, 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 yes. Oh, oh. She was <laughs> such a perfect little stinger the whole time. I loved mm-hmm. it. I, I mean, I love that too because I think she's actually a mirror for Dumbledore in many ways, right? Grindelwald is never going to love Dumbledore the way he really wants, right? Mm-hmm. Just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Newt is never going to love Bunty the way that she wants. And you have to be able to let those things go. Otherwise, you will kind of be stuck in life. And so, yeah, I did love that she was willing to let that go. And I would be very interested to see what happens to her next as well. She was, she's just a fun character. Um, I like that. You know, what's great about all of these characters is they're all slightly odd, which is fun because I think we all are, and they allow us to be able to have fun with that. So absolutely really loved her in the film. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you real quick about the action and the effects in the movie and how you thought all of that worked, because obviously those are a big part of, you know, these wizarding films. So for me, this is something that I've been really impressed with, in particular with Fantastic Beasts, because, I mean, like you were saying, Matt, you kind of depend on that with this kind of movie, because obviously things like a Niffler don't exist. So you have to kind of make it up somehow. And um, it would be hard to do that many practical effects for this movie. There's just too many things to do. So um, I think they do a really great job. Um, I love the 
effects that they did, especially in the scene with the, um, I looked up the name, the blast ended scroot. They look like or, little crabs. Yeah, they're, Those yeah, are they're fire either crabs? that or they're manticores. Okay. Okay. Because a blast yeah, ended scroot so. is an illegal um, marrying of or breeding yes. of mm-hmm. a fire crab and a manticore, correct? Yes. I believe you're okay. correct. I think those were the so, two. Yeah. So it's one of those. Maybe. Okay. But they but were so cute. <laughs> it was adorable. I loved and the, super creepy. the the swivel to get past them um, and seeing someone as lanky as Eddie trying to do that and make it look smooth <laughs> was hilarious. Um but yeah, I, I think that the the animation of the creatures was really mm-hmm. great. I was so happy to see some new creatures and our old favorites with Pickett. And um, now we have a name for the Niffler. His name is Teddy. And he's my favorite, if you can't tell. <laughs> yeah, I thought that all of the um, special effects were outstanding in this film. I especially gravitated towards... Um, the mirror verse, I guess we're going to mm-hmm. call it because they didn't really give that a name. Um, I-, I thought that they did a beautiful job with showing the difference between the reality and then the mirror side of what's going on interpersonally um, with those bigger scenes, as well as I also really enjoyed the swiveling. And I love how physical of an actor Eddie Redmayne is. Yeah. Like, Mm-hmm. everything from what he did in um, the theory of everything to what he's done through fantastic beasts. He's an excellent physical actor. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Uh, I think he makes you believe mm-hmm. all the beasts the same way that Mark Hamill makes you believe that Yoda exists, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. uh, or the same way. I think that all of the actors who work with baby Yoda make you feel like it's real. Mm-hmm. So um, there's only one scene in the movie where I think the effects were not great. Uh, the compositing work when they are in the Great Hall is pretty terrible because they created the set, but there aren't any walls to it, you can tell. Um, and so they've digitally created the Great Hall. It's not good. Um, one, because it feels too small, uh, much too small. And it just doesn't feel real. Um, You could tell the ground they're walking on is real. The tables are real. But none of the walls of the Great Hall are real because they weren't going to recreate the entire Great Hall just for this one scene. But you can do better. So the effects (laughs) there were not good. Otherwise, I think... It looks good. I love the wizarding fights. They're super fun. You know, especially the one at the dinner where they're uh, fighting against all of the different characters. The storm that Lolly's created is happening, you know, and they're running on the pages of the book to get into the port key was fantastic. Uh, That stuff is so cool. I, I mean, I just love what you can do with all of this stuff. And another great thing for me is that I love that James Newton Howard's back for the music because he's created some really beautiful themes for this series. And 
I felt like he did a great job of making the music kind of foreboding and menacing in many places because of what's going on. But at the same time, by the time you got to the end and you have the love theme between Newt and Tina, it just breaks your heart, you know, like because the music is so synonymous now with those type of moments. And so I really appreciated his score. I thought he did a fantastic job of helping continue to bring this series to life in the same way that, of course, John Williams does for the original three Harry Potter films. Mm-hmm. Has Did anyone stay for all of the credits? I did, but I, I don't remember I did not stay for the whole thing, no. So towards... The second half of the credits, when it gets long and tiny, they played a song with lyrics that was not in the film, and it was not like a choral song. It was Hmm. like a normal song with lyrics. And when I tell you, my jaw hit the floor. I don't even know what it was called. I should have looked that up before I said something, but yeah, I think that's- So did you like it? I I think I need to listen to it again because I was just so shocked that there was like a pop song in Harry Potter. It's called Heaven by Gregory (laughs) Porter. (laughs) Yeah, I was was shocked because I think that's the first time that a song like that's been present in credits for any Wizarding World film. Yeah, that's a good point. I I didn't catch it even though I stayed longer. Um, And I, I will say overall, of course, I really enjoyed the music. I like that it makes you feel that you're still part of the same universe by having a lot of similarities to the Harry Potter themes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, definitely, like you were saying, Matt, I think that they get across the you know terror of Grindelwald with this music in particular um, and really use it well in the scenes like the um, dinner with the book pages flying or um you know especially in the scenes between grindelwald and albus i think that there's just some really beautiful stuff so yeah i I had no issues at all with the music i personally really loved the scoring when jacob was alone in his bakery after he was imagining queenie there Mm -hmm. and then she wasn't and it just oh i know guts you (laughs) yeah Yeah, no, it absolutely does. So, well, I mean, we could probably talk for another (laughs) hour or more about this film, but I am very interested to see where both of you will land with your ratings for Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. I will give it a nine because you killed baby animals, and that made me really sad. And you killed a mommy animal, and that made me really sad. But other a than nine that, nine out of ten. <laughs> yep, a nine out of <laughs> ten because I, I thought it was a fantastic film. I loved the direction that they went with it. I thought the acting was superb. The scoring was beautiful. The effects were awesome. Just the baby animals. I can't get over it. <laughs> I'm a little lower than that, um, just because, like I was saying earlier, there's. Um, the accent that Jessica Williams was trying to do for Lally kind of took me out of it. Um, And I felt like there were some areas where maybe the character story could have been a little stronger Um, with credence. It just felt like at this point for me that he didn't necessarily even need to be there. Um, 
I wish that he had more to him in this movie. I just felt like he didn't get much to do. Um, so I will say I, I like him as a character. I just wish he had had more to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but overall enjoyed it. Um, and really thought that the suspense of it keeps you going through the whole movie. And like we said, the effects as well. So I come down um, probably a six and a half out of 10 um, Nifflers. Because <laughs> I thought that there were there were some really great parts. And then there were some things that I just was like, man, if they just kind of changed this or that. So overall, happy pretty happy with it would definitely see it again um but wish some things had been different i am gonna go with four out of five bow truckles uh, (laughs) because i really enjoyed this movie and you know i think the depth of conversation that we were able to have about this movie too is phenomenal um, I do think I was talking to my wife about this. We we saw it twice this weekend. I saw it three times, um, and she mentioned that she felt like the movie was like the theatrical version, where she felt like there was an extended cut of the movie because there are some moments in the film, and I'll specifically just call one out. Dumbledore has the scarf on when they go to. Um, the city in the Himalayas in Bhutan. And then he uses it to create a overhang. And then nothing was ever done with that. So there are mm-hmm. moments in the film like you, where you just think that there's other things that happened mm-hmm. um, that don't quite get flushed out. So there are those kind of moments, Christy. I think that's so I would love an extended version of this film. They did an extended version for The Crimes of Grindelwald, but only digitally, which they should just release that as the the regular version of the movie because it was better because mm. it, they had some conversations with Dumbledore that helped explain plot points. So, yeah, and in many ways, too, I would absolutely just love her to write full novels of all of these, not just screenplays, because I feel like there's so much more. But one last question I have for both of you before we get out of here. Um, a lot has been made that this may just end up being a trilogy, depending on how well this movie does. Do you guys want parts four and five? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that there's still more that you could dive into there with the characters. And I think that maybe there are some things that didn't appeal to me as much here that could be righted in the next movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, and you know, Hey, I always want to see more of Queenie and I would like Tina to come back and something to happen with Credence's story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is definitely a middle film. It felt like a middle film. Um, there was small resolution, but with a still greater looming threat that needs to be addressed. And right. I, I, I need those questions answered. Mm-hmm. I need to mm-hmm. see everything come to a head and there be a real final conflict. Yeah. yeah. And it was better than Crimes of Grindelwald, I will say. Mads Mikkelsen. Yep. I, I think the best 
thing about this is that I do want more. I do come away wanting more because I do feel like both of you said, you know, this could be the end, but it also this feels like the pivot movie, right? So two movies, mm-hmm. middle, mm-hmm. and then the last two. And I definitely want to see what happens next. I mean, there are questions here that I would love to have answers. Like we still don't know what like what happens to Nagini that we met, you know, in, mm-hmm. in Crimes of Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. There's still so many different elements to this. So 100% I want to see uh, the final two films. And I think this was a great, I think this was a great stepping stone in that, in the sense that I do feel like the movies, I think the first movie I and this movie are my favorites in this series so far. And if you take those two together, I think you have a real good idea of what to do to create the next uh, and the last two in the series. So all in all, this is a movie, I think, one, that people should see for all that we talked about. And two, just because it was so much fun. Uh, And three, I want to see more. So please go see the Secrets of Dumbledore. But Amanda, it was great to have you back. Love that you got to be here because I know how much you love the Wizarding World. But if people want to find you, where can they do that? You guys can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok under the handle Twin Sons Amanda. And that's Twin Sons like sunshine, binary sons. <laughs> awesome. And- uh, and you can find me um, sometimes with Amanda on a show that we do when I'm not here um, called Sabers and Spells. So I hope that you guys will check that out on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network Skynet. Um, Skynet. And on, there you go. And on <laughs> all your social media platforms at Sabers and Spells. And then you can find me personally, uh, of course, at Bespin Bell on Instagram, Twitter, and back on TikTok. Yes, they convinced me to come back. So, um, yeah, I hope you'll check me out there at Bespin Bell. And Matt, where can they find you? Well, of course, uh, you could find me on the social media platforms like Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, under the name MattRushing02. Of course, here on the network in the 602 Club feed as well with our bonus shows, Assembling Avengers and Snyder Cuts, plus doing Warp 5, The Orb, Literary Tracks, and The Artificial Tango. Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. The Orbs about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Literary Tracks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And then The Artificial Tango is all about a Star Trek Picard. We're walking through Season 2 right now, which has been a ton of fun. And then you can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network. I have a finished show I did with Drea Kaufman. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time so you can check that out and of course you can check me out with john mills doing aggressive negotiations talking about star wars each and every week but thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear Thank you.